If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Welcome, everyone, to uh, yet another edition of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We have an amazing, amazing podcast uh, for you guys this time around. Of course, they're always amazing, but this one is even more amazing um, because we have we were going to be joined by a special co-host, but we'll, more about that in a minute. Um, anyway, let's introduce each other uh, or ourselves. I'm Keith, uh, Keith Giles. I'm the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. And my co-hosts are Matt and Jamal. So guys, hey, say hi and introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Jamal Javanji. I'm author of Free to Love, and it's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm Matt DeStefano, author of From the Blood of Abel on Choir Publishing, and um, two other books, and one coming out shortly in the next couple months, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, oh, you fucker. Um <laughs> we got to start off this podcast right. Um, before we get into this, let's get a word from the sponsor. As always, it's Unfundamentalist, which is a blog, a group blog focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor. And they are dedicated to opposing the toxic, pure, pure, I can't talk today, power mongering, fear inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. You can find them online at facebook.com backslash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Jamal, you got something to say, don't you? I do. I do. Um, and uh, I wanted to like just mention uh, for our listeners, just in case anybody hasn't um, anybody hasn't like uh, realized this by this point yet, is that we actually have a uh, Heretic Hotline. And on this hotline, now today, okay, I, this is actually really serious. Today on the Heretic Hotline, um, well, the, the topic of, of this podcast is is something I really believe is very, very important, and it's very timely uh, for our culture, our society. And I would really love to encourage the listeners, as you're listening to this podcast today, to take to make use of the Heretic Hotline. Um, would really love to hear your thoughts after listening to this episode. Love for you to call in and just share how how did this come across? Um, our guest that's coming on is going to share some things, and how you know if if you're uh, if you're a female and, and you're listening to this and it, it you know, and it, some of the things that our guest is going to share, like how did it affect you to hear what she was saying? Or even, even for some of the guys that are listening to this, like how did what our guest is saying affect you? We'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, concerns, agreements, disagreements. Uh, but I really, really would love to get your perspective on this. We'd love to talk about it in future episodes. So after listening to this episode, um, give the heretic hotline a call uh, or, or text uh, with your thoughts. Uh, we'd really, really be interested in hearing what you what you guys have to say about this topic. So uh, the number is, um, dang it, it's not in front of me. Can someone help me with this? It's not, um, come on, you don't have it memorized by now. I mean, I, come on. And I thought I was the pothead. Uh, come on, it's two four zero three heresy. Two four zero three. That's right. You had one job, man. One, <laughs> one job. job. Damn it. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs> Well, this this is going off smashingly. Should we uh, should we get to the heretic of the week? It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Jory Micah, and I am a heretic. Hi, hi Jory. <laughs> hi, guys. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour. So excited to have you on. Um, and we wanted to uh, talk to you about why people consider you 
a heretic? Why why is it that people call you? I'm assuming they do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, if you just Google Jory Micah, you will find several articles of the false teachings of Jory Micah <laughs> and Jory Micah the heretic and things like that, which um, is funny to me because... I'm not really claiming anything that has not already been claimed by um, much of the church uh, throughout history. So okay. I, I basically, it's, it's really funny. I never, ever realized how controversial I would be just by claiming that I believe that God calls women to be pastors mm. as well as men. Mm-hmm. And I would say, out of all of the things that I've said and the, and the controversial things that I've got involved with, whether it's religion or politics, I would say the number one thing that causes people to call me a heretic is saying that God calls women to be pastors or saying that um, God has feminine attributes um, oh and can God. also be considered um, a mother or she yeah. um, when we talk about spirit and God. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, by the way, I just want to say thank you for being so brave and courageous to stand the way you do, because that's how I found you. I was reading some of your stuff on Facebook and started reading some of your posts, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, first of all, I agree with you. I love what you're saying. Awesome. Um, and and I've said similar things, and I think we we also Matt and Jamal and I have also written and and spoken about similar things. And it means something, I think, when it, when a man will stand up for a woman and say that. But oh yeah, uh, is it? Do you think it's harder for you as a woman? I mean, do you do you feel like you get attacked more, or people just don't take you seriously? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that um, yeah, I think women in general definitely get attacked more and um, even very gender specific stereotypical mm-hmm. language is, is used when attacking me. So I'll be called names like Jezebel and things like that. Um, and a lot of women writers, Christian women writers, that is, um, especially ones who stick up for gender equality in the church um, and women pastors and women leaders and and women being equal partners in their marriages and things like that mm. are often called similar names, whether it be Jezebel or, you know, things that are just very gender specific. Um, and the attacks are often um, tried to make, I guess, try to make me feel stupid or small or um, mm-hmm. that, you know, I that my voice is, is not that important. Um, and a lot of times I will claim, you know, that I, you know, I will tell, I'll share with people my credentials, um, which is I have a master's in biblical studies, um, from a reputable, reputable seminary. And, um, I never say that to be prideful or arrogant, but just to show people that, you know, I'm not stupid, (laughs) that I I have, um, some credentials (laughs) to talk about these things. Um, but then when you're a woman who, uh, shares your credentials, all of a sudden you go from being, um, you know, a silly little woman that doesn't know what she's talking about to an arrogant, prideful, into herself um, sort of woman that's that's not 
not like Christ and not humble kind of thing. <laughs> well, and then uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember even people questioning your credentials. Like, I, I think I remember reading an article that questioned your whole credential. And I was just like, this is bullshit. Like, are you kidding me right now? This is, this is horribly <laughs> stupid. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and I don't know. I, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, how do these people have this kind of time right. to <laughs> right. sit down? And literally this person, this man, he literally must have spent hours going through each and every Bible college right. that I went to. I've been to three Bible colleges. I have an associate's in theology um, from a non-accredited Bible school, and then I went to an accredited Bible school university where I finished my my bachelor's in church ministries, and then from there I went to um, a fairly prestigious seminary, um, Regent University, that is definitely accredited. So I kind of built up in my academics. I I actually was not a strong um, high school student at all. I hated school. And it wasn't because I wasn't smart. It was because I didn't care about any of those subjects. And I just totally was not in a school. And that that is actually why I started at a non-accredited Bible school, because my parents were like, never dreamed that I would go on to seminary. They just thought, you know, let's just get her doing something. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to be, I felt called to be a pastor and, and a minister and an evangelist and things like that. And so, you know, my dad pretty much directed me to go to this non-accredited Bible school as, as a start which I'm glad I did because it, I, it kind of slowly acclimated me to, to like, to like school. And I learned how to study when I was in college and, and I ended up graduating with, you know, 3.7 GPA from seminary. So I, I just never liked school because I wasn't studying what I loved. So yeah, this guy, he basically just tore apart my, my schools, every degree I got. He looked into every single class that, that my degree, um, offered, um, and pretty much just tried to make every my all of my degrees like some big right. joke, and th- that actually didn't bother me though as much as he 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 made it look like um, I was pretending to be this really um, highly academic like Harvard graduate, and that I was like fooling everybody into thinking that I am smarter than I actually am. Um, which that was what bothered me the most that he made me look like I was um, a deceptive person. Right. Well, Jory, uh, this is Jamal here, by the way, thank you for, for sharing all of that. Um, actually, by the way, I think I saw, I could be wrong, but you were traveling around the country recently and that uh, you made your way to Columbus, Ohio. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. I did a coffee tour um, just as a way to kind of show my supporters that I love them and I want to meet them and hug them and talk to them. So I, uh, uh, my husband and I stopped at probably at least 10 different cities all around the country. And Columbus was one of them. And we just met at local coffee joints and tons of people just showed up and we sat around and met all these new cool people in the Christian church and all over the map and just talked about our experiences and um, a lot of people that are deconstructing their faith and are, um, you know, women in ministry and men in ministry who are also experiencing a lot of rejection and especially in the evangelical church um, for just being more inclusive, whether it be 
for to women or the LGBT community mm-hmm. or whatever, um, a lot of people showed up on that coffee tour that are really, really um, deconstructing their faith right now in the evangelical church um, and mm-hmm. are kind of marginalized, which is kind of odd because it's like these are like – People that grew up in the evangelical church, mostly millennials, um, that have Christian parents and that are still Christians, still love the Lord, but they are not in church. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people our age are not in church because they're just so tired of all of the (laughs) bullcrap. You can say bullshit on here if you want. All right. The bullshit. There you go. Hey. The bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you want to. Yeah. Well, that's right. Well, when I saw you coming through Columbus, uh, I was just really excited about that because that's where I'm from. I'm a huge Buckeye fan. So anyway, but I wanted to ask you <laughs> ask you this about um, about specifically about the divine feminine, um, because a few years ago, I started to notice something going on in me. Like I started to, again, you know, I come from. You know, well, I come from a Muslim background, wow. but then eventually became an evangelical Christian as a young adult. Sure. And then, you know, obviously it's God as father. Jesus is a man. Uh, it's all of these male, very masculine God as he. You, you always say God. You always sure. use the personal pronoun of he when referring to God. And like a few years ago, I just started personally experiencing like a just a, a change in my own. I don't know, just the the way I started to relate within the Christ in yeah. me, so to speak, felt more like a woman. And I know that sounds crazy to some people, but like, honestly, that because I'm a man, you yeah. know, but I was like starting to understand that God is feminine, just in the nature of what I was experiencing. Sure. I started to understand God more in the motherly sense. Even some of the sure. affections I've had for other people seemed very motherly as opposed to fatherly in my sure. relationships. It was the most, it just kind of blew the my paradigms. And um, I've recently just begun to even say she, you know, when I'm referring to God, actually, you know, God seems to be more like she these days. I obviously understand that, you know, God, male and female both are creating the image of God. But to me in these days, the feminine aspect has been emphasized in a very unique way. And I'm just curious um, how that happened. Like, obviously you're a woman, but like so sure. many women that I talk to about this really push back very hard. Uh, sure. against that. And, and I'm just shocked about that. So I just would like to know from you as a woman, how how did this process begin for you? Sure. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess for me, I probably felt a lot like I, I'm exactly like my dad, which is um, scary in a lot of ways, um, but also really cool in a lot of ways too. But I've all I've as I've grown up I've become you know so much like my father um and, and genetically and interest in our weaknesses and our strengths everything and so I guess that I have always been my I guess my gifts and my personality strengths and things like that have always been considered more stereotypically masculine um because I've always been kind of a strong leader. I've always been very courageous and bold and, um, you know, always going up against the boys and everything, you know, never afraid of anything. So in that way, I was, I was more like, more like a, a, a guy in what society says boys and, and men are supposed to be like. Um, but at the same time, I am very, very girly and feminine and, 
I love makeup and I love shopping and I love to be spoiled and cuddled and, you know, and be told I'm beautiful and all those things. So, I mean, I like all of the girly stuff too. Um, so for me, I just never really quite fit into either category. And so, um, as I kind of got older and realized that, you know, I was continuously looked over for pastoral positions in the church because I was female, um, that was very, very frustrating to me. So it became, egalitarian theology became a passion of mine because it became a, you know, I need to do something to change this this system. So um, there are so many really interesting things about if we look back at Adam and Eve. Um, for example, some people think that, some scholars think that Eve was literally inside of Adam when they were in the garden before she was um, taken out of his rib and created as a second person. Some, some scholars believe that she was actually already in Adam. So Adam was actually a he, she, and some scholars even go as far as saying that Adam may have had both sexual organs and may have been able to reproduce even if Eve was never taken out of Adam. Um, but Adam was lonely that way, and which is why Eve was taken out of Adam as literally his his other half. So it, something that I think about is that, you know, human, male and female, is made in God's image. Genesis makes that very clear. So Adam, being the first human, was n- not necessarily all male Um, Adam could have been male-female as the very first human until he was sort of, for lack of a better way of explaining it, he was sort of broken in half into the masculine and the feminine. But um, if we are, you know, redemptive and we are trying to get back to the way things always were supposed to be, and that's that's this oneness um, where male and female are one, and we are one and we represent the image of God together, um, then that would make a lot of sense why we are seeing a lot of men who are starting to kind of get in touch with their more feminine attributes, um, which science tells us that, you know, men have um, estrogen and women have testosterone. So we both, you know, I have masculine inside of me and and men have feminine inside of them. And so I actually think that as redemption moves forward and as we move towards God kind of restoring the brokenness from the fall and how how man and woman were we were kind of split apart and patriarchy started and all the things that make make men and women focus on our differences. I think as we're moving towards redemption, um, we're beginning to see um, how much we're alike. And the more we focus in on how much we're alike as men and women, the more we're able to relate to one another each other as humans and not stereotype each other as, oh, well, that, you know, that person over there, you know, he must be gay because he has the, that, those feminine attributes and she must be this because, you know, she has those masculine attributes and kind of these stereotypes that we put on people that are not necessarily wrong, but 
not necessarily true either. So I think that we're just coming into a, a more complete picture of who we are as human beings, um, which is a whole yeah. a wholeness. When we bring male and female together, we represent the entire image of God. You know, and that's 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 so confirming and encouraging to hear. I mean, I actually, I actually wrote a book. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm published with the choir was, was for the rare, it was a book called free to love. It was about this essence of oneness. Uh, that's even possible relationally speaking, mm-hmm. uh, bringing male and female together. And uh, I think it was really radical when Jesus asked his followers to be one. And yet they were mm-hmm. cross gender, different, uh, ethnicities. And obviously, you know, uh, and they weren't married to each other. So yeah. just, a, just a very radically, uh, just, Broke all the paradigm. So thank you for that. I, I guess a question I have, maybe a, a little different direction here on that is, um, I and I think you probably have talked about this, but it's really interesting to me in these days in which we're seeing so much, I really believe the divine feminine understanding mm-hmm. of God to be, you know, getting out there, but like sure. at the highest places in our culture with the president, with the, some folks in like Hollywood and different places, you see this misogyny, you see this this yeah. patriarchal, this abusive towards, uh, yeah. kind of mindset towards women kind of getting exposed in a way. I don't know that if we've ever seen it. Can you talk a little bit why, how you think that's actually a good thing uh, in the sense of like what it what it's doing to break us out of this whole undergirding of patriarchal ideology that we really sometimes are unconscious to? Sure. Um, yeah, I actually think, you know, I have been very public about my feelings and my opposition towards Donald Trump, but I actually believe that the purpose and the reason that Donald Trump was elected was to kind of expose us in what, especially the church, but also the world, just to expose the things of the church and the world that have just been going on too long and Trump actually serves as an alarm, a wake-up call, and almost like a mirror, you know, where we look into Trump, and and every single one of us, if we're honest, we can look into Donald Trump, and we can see something about him that reflects something negative about ourselves, and it really makes us Mm -hmm. think... Wow, like it may, we see this person at the highest level of office, maybe the highest position in the entire world, and we put him there. And we are all responsible, um, even if we didn't vote for him, even if we didn't, um, even if we actively stood against him, we are still responsible to look inward and look how, what part did I play? in this and what do i see in this highest position in the world that might be a problem within me even if it's just the problem of i was quiet when i should have spoken um maybe it was you know these people that are just like all these people in hollywood for example that that knew what these sexual predators were doing for decades um, and maybe that it repulsed them. Maybe they hated it, but they were still silent, which makes them complicit. And so I think that there are all ways that we have to kind of look. If we don't want to miss the purpose of this moment, then we all need to kind of look into what has happened in our leadership and how we put them there and how we are complicit in how women have been 
historically and continuously abused, um, the misogyny that continues to happen, the silence of both men and women, um, the the complicity of both men and women in the continued oppression and abuse of women and girls. So I think that's just one issue, um, but I do think it is a, a big one that God is absolutely he's putting a spotlight on it and saying time to deal with this. Yeah. And you know, the, the, you make a great point there, Jory, that um, a lot of people don't want to look at Trump. Uh, in fact, you would, uh, what we're hoping for is that, man, he's going to be impeached or, you know, any day now. Yeah. And we're going to get rid of that guy. But the truth is, and, and you put your finger on it there, getting rid of him does not solve the problem. All it does is get mm-hmm. rid of maybe a symbol right, right. for for a problem, but at least you know close to half of Americans and uh, half of Americans agree with that nonsense and and think that he's right about a lot of these horrible things. And the truth is, we will still be living in a in a society where those kinds of thoughts and feelings—the racism, mm-hmm. the misogyny, the patriarchy, um, the 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 fear of the you know, immigrants, right, sure. xenophobia, and all sure. that—that that stuff is. Still there, and it's not going away. Getting rid of Trump won't get rid of that. Absolutely not. Mm-mm. No, I mean, it, it, Trump is literally God making us face ourselves and face our our demons. Yeah, so we've got a lot of work. To um, do. and it's very, very, it's it's interesting and also disturbing how much in bed the evangelical church is with Trump. It just shows that how far that we have gotten away from the message of Christ and and the the core values yeah. of Christ um you know for for the stranger like you said uh for the poor, for the marginalized. Um no matter how you feel about LGBTQ theology, it is absolutely time for the church to stand up against the bullying and the mm-hmm. marginalization of the LGBT community. Um it is absolutely wrong and these people are committing suicide and they are being murdered and it's just the the church is too afraid to say anything because they don't want to be associated with certain theology or progressive or liberal or things like that but you know we have women and girls worldwide that are being sold into sexual slavery um and there's just there's so much corruption under under the surface under the carpet that has just continuously become been covered up. And I really do think that the, the that God is just exposing and uncovering. Um, and it's painful. It's a painful process. And like you said, Trump reminds us every day that we have to wake up and face <laughs> face of the pain and face this this horrible demon that that has been here for a long time even with like the the yeah. racial stuff in in America it's like we have this century yeah. old yeah. demon that we have to wake up and we have to look in the face every day um and that that's hard that's we're, we're in a really mm-hmm. hard hard time um as Americans but we're also leaders in the world and and we we have a responsibility to face all of these things. Yeah, I I feel like this conversation can go on for like hours and hours and I have <laughs> I think I think you're I think you're absolutely right. This is an apocalyptic time in the Greek yeah. sense like there's an unveiling going on 
And, um, yeah, but let's, um, we, we've already been going about 25 minutes. So let me ask our last question. Um, I know you've got certain things going on and different projects. What's, what's a couple of things you're excited about and, uh, projects that you're working on and also, um, let, let people know where they can, um, check out your work and all the wonderful things that you're doing and where can people connect with you? Sure. Well, um, I am, it's so ridiculous because I've been working on my first book for like, feels like three years now. So I keep telling people that I'm, I'm working on this book and I'm starting to feel kind of silly because I'm taking forever to finish it. But I have written a book. Um, it's right now, it's over 80,000 words and I'm in the process of editing, which I have ADHD really bad. And so I have a really, really hard time editing because it's like the small little details just like drive me nuts once I'm like over the excitement of the project and the stimulation of the project. So I'm having a really hard time finishing this book, but I am finishing it. Um, I'm taking a little break off social media right now and it's going to be called, the book's going to be called Breaking the Glass Steeple. And it's all about my journey and my theology and things like that that have to do with um, empowering women and girls mm. in the church and outside the church. And, and it really, it's it's not a book about trying to talk anybody into anything because this, this battle has been going on for so long. Um, everybody kind of just knows where they stand at this point. But what we need now, I believe, is just a charge to women, a charge to egalitarians, um, people who believe in this cause, just some encouragement and some motivation um, and some empowerment to just go and some education and know how to just strengthen. The book is meant to empower and strengthen the movement. Um, And so hopefully that will be published um, sometime in 2018. And that is obviously what I'm most excited about. And then if you want to follow me on social media or follow my blog, I'm at jorymica.com, J-O-R-Y-M-I-C-A-H.com. And you can find me on social media, um, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at jorymica. And that, you can also find all those things on my website. Um, and then I do coffee tours once in a while, so you can find that on my website as well, where I just kind of go and and I let my following know where I'm going to be, whether it's a coffee shop in you know New York City or Los Angeles or Washington D.C. I'll let people know you know a week ahead, and and anybody who is who wants to can show up and hang out. That's great, awesome, Jory. Uh, I- it is so great to have you on the podcast. Uh, we, you know, we should have you come back again and do a longer segment because there was a whole lot of stuff I think would be really cool to unpack. Um, but you definitely got us thinking and want to follow more of what you're doing at joymica.com. Thank you so much for being our guest. Sure. Thank you guys so much. I really had fun. Thanks, Joy. Awesome, Joy. Thank you. Well, uh, we are excited to uh, have a very special guest host with us today. Uh, and that is Amanda Iosa. And uh, the reason why is that we have a, also a really great topic that we needed some help with here. Uh, and the topic is gender wars. So uh, what we would like to do uh, in the next, uh, I guess, 30 minutes or so, half hour or so left in our podcast, uh, we want to talk about things like patriarchy, misogyny, <clears throat> and uh, the way women have been oppressed in the, in the church. Uh, and, uh, and at the end of this 30 minutes, we're going to really 
resolved this whole conflict. And um, we're, we're going to be able to just move forward from here, I think. So, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. And uh, I don't know, this controversial hot topic. So we'll see what happens. Um, there is a war indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm Amanda Iosa. And uh, I'm actually soon to be published with Choir. I'm part of a awesome collaboration. We're working on the first uh, children's book that's going to be published through choir. So I helped with that story and uh, doing the illustration. So uh, getting all the images going for that now. So that's going to be coming soon this year. Excited about that. Very cool. Awesome. I also uh, just sort of the whole gender issue stuff is something I'm pretty passionate about. I've got a background in anthropology and uh, I went to an all women's school. So I guess that makes me a feminist like automatically or something so (laughs) but uh yeah yeah, just had a lot of a lot of thoughts on the subject and excited to be here to to uh to to fight it out with you guys um yeah no yeah Yeah. well you know and i I wanted to just say um, we are all three of us are super excited to have you on this podcast and we've been looking forward to doing this for uh for a long time so we um thank you i just wanted to start off with yeah, we, I just want to start off with a confession. I, as I was thinking about this topic, I was realizing I am a recovering misogynist, and I was raised by misogynists. Um, and I, I grew up, you know, it's kind of like the fish who doesn't know what water is. You know, I just grew up in in this world, kind of this John Wayne ethic of you know the man was the tough guy who never showed any emotion, and the woman was the one making the sandwich in the kitchen, and uh, you know making sure the house was clean, the food was hot when he came home, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it's just, it's actually just taken me a long time. Like I think a lot of guys to wake up to the fact that that isn't normal and that isn't cool. And certainly as someone who's following Christ, that isn't, that isn't part of, uh, part of the deal. We shouldn't be like that. Um, and, and so anyway, just as someone who is, uh, trying to unlearn a whole lot of things, uh, become aware of things like patriarchy in the church, um, some pretty, pretty serious patriarchy in the church. Uh, and misogyny and that kind of stuff. So let's talk about specifically just the problem. You know, what a, uh, what is patriarchy? How does it manifest? Um, where does it come from? You know, let's let's kind of jump into that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thanks for your confession, Keith. You're like one of the few to be really open about that, I think. So, but I mean, I think that's like ingrained in everybody to a degree. So it's, yeah, it's the stuff that's, you, you just never realize that it's something that isn't right, you know? So, but I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And no, no hard feelings well, on my end for sure. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, um, it's also something where, you know, it isn't just the men who are raised in this world. You know what I mean? Like I think women are conditioned as well to Absolutely. sort of, this yeah. is the way you play the game. And if you, if you go outside of these, uh, expected norms, um, you know, then you are a Jezebel or you're rebellious or you're whatever, you know, you get labeled. In other words, there's, there's all these things. And we just, you know, listened to this interview with Jory Micah where Jory talked about how she herself had experienced and has, and, and is still experiencing a lot of this kind of stuff. And it's very depressing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, how, uh, let's talk a little bit about scripture. Like how does scripture reinforce patri- patriarchy in the church? Amanda, do you want to take that? Oh, I, I mean, it's just from, I mean, I want to hear your take too, guys, but just to, from my experience, I mean, that's, I mean, for one, 
probably the biggest thing is just how much, you know, and I know it was discussed in the interview with Jory as well, but you know, how much, you know, God's only portrayed as a he and, you know, and, and especially when you add church culture to that, where, you know, generally speaking across the board, I mean, there are exceptions, but you know, all the leadership's men and, you know, women are really, you know, pushed to the side or, you know, subjugated and put in lower, you know, just a lower place. It's like, what, how do, you know, for myself, I never really struggled with it, but I wonder how women as a whole, you know, how do they feel like, well, are they made in the image of God? How do they express God? Are they even a part of God? Because, you know, it's just God is described as exclusively male so much. I mean, there are a couple tiny places in scripture where you might get something different, but it's, you know, that's been pushed so hard. It's like, you know, what, where does that leave women with their own identity in terms of, you know, well, who, who am I in Christ? Who am I in God? So, you know, that's, that's a, probably the biggest overarching one there, but, um, you know, that really sticks out to me or I think would have the most impact, but, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts, guys? Well, Amanda, I have a. This is Jamal, by the way. Um, good to good to talk with you on here. Yes, <laughs> um, you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a question for you, and and this question would be: when you when you refer to God, do you refer to God as she? <laughs> do you ever talk to God as a woman uh, in the feminine, like like her or she? Do you use those pronouns? If so, like when did that begin for you? If not, why do you think um, you haven't. Oh, good question. Um, that's actually really just been more recent for me, maybe the last year or two. And it's not, it's, it's funny. It's not all the time. It's like they're, you know, cause I, I know we have the, the idea that, you know, God is multiple people in a way, you know? So, but it's sort of like, well, you know, who am I talking to right now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, or, or even just the, the feeling that I might have, in my communication or communion with God at the time is, you know, am I getting more of a fatherly vibe or a motherly vibe or or what have you? But it's, uh, I used to just go with he all the time just because that was normal. And it, it, it wasn't that I was saying, oh, well, you know, God's clear, God clearly doesn't have any feminine attributes, but it, it just, you know, it's the way it's done. And I just went with it and didn't really think anything of it. But um, I've really, you know, just in, in my own path as I've deconstructed from some things and, and really just been digging deeper myself into, you know, my own identity as someone expressing God's image and all that, you know, just finding more balance in that and exploring that. So, yeah, it's both. It, it just sort of depends on, you know, what I'm feeling out at the time. So... Yeah. Well, and and going back to what you said, Amanda, you mentioned that <clears throat> there's very few instances in in the scriptures where God is portrayed um, in the feminine rather than the masculine. But yeah, if 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 we could touch on that, I mean, if we just go to Genesis one, and when it talks about man and woman, male and female, it's it's that that's the image of God that we're made in, male and female. So right off the bat, if you want to read the the Bible just from front cover to back cover in the first chapter in the first chapter uh-huh. of the thing God's image is 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 both 
Um, and and of course, of course, when we oh for sure, but 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 I th- I thought yeah, I thought most people think that it starts in chapter three though. So um, you know, <laughs> but. yeah, yeah, that's well, that's that's right, right, right. I mean, that's that's where we talk. Our jumping off point. I think we mentioned it in the last podcast that yeah, we 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 tend to jump off with original sin, right? That's where we. That's our. Um, that's where we jump off as Christians. We're sinners. That's where, chapter three. We start right there. But it's like no, we're we're made in the image and likeness of God. And when I say we, male, female, me, male, female, yeah. and I would say non-binary because this male, female thing is not. I mean, masculine, feminine. I don't think has just one definition. It's just this whole spectrum. So it's just a lot bigger. So what I wanted to emphasize was that. Yes, the scriptures do portray God as he more often, but it's not as if it's not there from the start that it's male, female, masculine, feminine, um, man, woman. It's not just man. Um, and also also spirit, from what I understand in, in Hebrew, is in the feminine and in Greek, it's neutered. So Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I you're right. It's it's highly patriarchal, but it's it's there as well. Well, I think it's more how it's been used and the perception and you know what parts have been pushed and what parts have been kind of swept under the rug. So it's uh, of course, I th- yeah. A lot of it's more tradition and and just that patriarchal church culture that's right. I guess shaped our perception of the scriptures too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it doesn't, uh, this is Keith, it doesn't help, um, I mean, obviously there's the clobber verses with Paul, you know, and Timothy mm-hmm. and um, 1 Corinthians, um, and and, I, and I've, I've been very blessed, very helped by a lot of the research. John Zins has an excellent book that I recommend all the time called What's With Paul, uh, What's With Paul and Women, and, um, and it was so helpful to me reading that book to realize you know, first of all, our English Bibles, you know, especially in those passages, our English Bibles use words in English that do not reflect honestly what's in what's happening in the Greek, number one. Number two, there are centuries of bias, translation bias that has have been done um, to obscure Paul's actual meaning there. And then there's a cultural component, a third layer, a cultural component, especially in the Timothy passage, um, that most of us are completely oblivious to, which is this whole idea of Artemis worship, that when you understand what was going on in Ephesus, which is where uh, Timothy was when Paul wrote the letter, uh, and you understand Artemis worship and the components of Artemis worship, uh, then it makes, not only does it make sense of what Paul is saying uh, seemingly about all women, when really the passage is about a woman, um, but also about the uh, Artemis worship being about like how women would adorn their hair uh, with with all these things, and uh, that's why Paul says he doesn't. He wants women to dress modestly. It's specifically in response to Artemis worship, and the reason why women adorned their hair that way was to appeal to Artemis to save their lives and the lives of their babies in childbirth, which makes sense of the of the verse that um, it seems so ridiculous and confusing, where Paul says, "quote And women will be saved in childbirth," which which I've heard very good New Testament scholars who are oblivious to that Artemis component, I've heard very smart, very good New Testament scholars uh, explain that verse about women being saved, saved in childbirth as if women having babies has something to do with them being saved. It's, it's so ridiculous. But again, it's the, it's the kind of contortions that we do 
um, when we're unaware of some of these things. And so, unfortunately, all of that, all those things have sort of come together to create and perpetuate this subjugation of women in the church that women should be silent. And, you know, it's it's an abomination if a woman speaks in the church and she should ask her, her husband at home if she has a question. And I never, I don't permit a woman to teach and all this nonsense. Um, that that's not at all what uh, what's really being talked about. And, and for us to port that into our modern churches is uh, really sad. Well, and, and if I could jump in first, before I ask Amanda, I want to ask you a question. Um, I, I did want to plug a book, uh, which is Lucy Pepiot's Women and Worship in, at Corinth, Paul's Rhetorical Arguments in First Corinthians. Um, I think we're, we're really misreading Paul um, in, in, as Doug yeah. Campbell points out in Romans, um, J. Louis Martin, as he points out in Galatians, um, and, and as Lucy Pepiot points out in 1 Corinthians, that Paul's letters is not always Paul's voice. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. what, I mean, and what I mean by that is that he's using, a, he's using a, a, a pretty common Greek rhetorical technique, and we do it all the time. Um, you know, we... we we kind of act out sarcastically often our opponent's views, and then we refute them. That's that's pretty common practice. Um, that's pretty common on Facebook. Um, <laughs> that's pretty common when we when we debate other people. And, and Paul's doing that. So when Paul is talking about some of these quote unquote anti woman things in First Corinthians, he's actually doing it so he can refute the argument at hand, just like he does in Romans, where. Um, you know, some folks from the Jerusalem church are going to say, oh, in order to become a Christian first, you must be circumcised, you must sit at a kosher table, and you must obey the Sabbath. Well, when Paul starts talking about this stuff, he's going to then refute it. Um, he does the same thing in 1 Corinthians. So I think we're really butchering 1 Corinthians, and it's especially ironic um, that we're then taking Paul's opponent's argument and then making it as if that's Paul's argument. Um, so. I just want to plug that book because I think anyone who's interested in in these issues would would be really blessed by that book um, by Lucy Pepiot. But Amanda, I wanted to ask you a question, um, and I know we wanted to cut this to about thirty minutes, and we're going to solve all the world's problems here in thirty yes. minutes, and we've got about fifteen <laughs> minutes left. So, I guess the the million dollar question is: How do we start to heal from this? How do we start um, to be reconciled with one another? How do we end patriarchy? in the in the right way or what is there a right way or what would your thoughts be on a right way yeah definitely oh big question 15 minutes okay let's save the world in 15 minutes all right um (laughs) that's right yeah the task at hand yeah it's all right well honestly it's like the thing and and i found it interesting um though i wasn't there for the recording i have listened to that interview with jory micah it is fantastic um just really I mean, important and meaty stuff in there. Um, But I found it interesting that um, she had mentioned, you know, talked about the creation of Adam Adam and Eve in the garden. And, um, you know, just that, and I I agree, you know, it it would only make sense, you know, if we're talking about, you know, God being one with us and, you know, Jesus praying that we'd be one with one another and the whole thing. It's like that, well, yeah, if... Eve was taken out of Adam and Adam was created at one time and God says, let's create them in our image, male and female. They, I would agree that Adam and Eve were created at once and Eve's just kind of catching a ride 
<laughs> around in Adam for a while, but it's, yeah. you know, that we, we weren't separate. And then, you know, it basically like to try and sum it up as quickly as I can, it's like the, the way I see it, like, and it actually is what you guys brought up at the end of the last podcast as well, which I thought was great is just, you know, sort of our identity crisis of feeling like we're worms, like we're less than, like we're separate from God, you know, all of that, that I think the the true fall happened before chapter three. I think it happened the moment Adam's looking around at all these other creatures who all have companions and going, well, why am I here by myself? And maybe he was aware that he wasn't alone before, but suddenly he's got this idea in his head that he's alone and it all falls apart from there. And Hmm. so, you know, and, and that he's, you know, then the resentment comes in towards God that, you know, why did you create all these other creatures and they have somebody, but I don't. And, you know, he, he just start. And I think that's even where the whole satanic element first comes in is, the the deception and the accusation and you know just this downward spiral of thoughts and of course then adam's miserable so you know god takes eve out and okay here there's here here's a person for you but i feel like when everything happened with you know the tree and the fruit and being awakened to the knowledge of good and evil and all that it's like in a way there's like and it's not about blame at all, but I see that that probably started in Adam and it's something Eve picked up on. And because there's the whole mm. part where, you know, yeah, she eat, she takes the fruit, gives it to him, he eats it, but he was there the whole time. It's not like she ran off yeah, by she her. She, she didn't run off by herself and go get this and come back and be like, hey, I talked to this snake and he told me this and, and here we can eat this and we can be just like God. Where did she get the idea that they weren't like God? You know? So I think it's mm-hmm. something that, you know, they, they collectively came to, but it came out of this sense of broken identity and lack and that something was wrong. And so it's not even about, you know, oh, you horrible, willful people that, you know, how, how could you do this and all this, you know, that it, it's, it was simply a tragedy, it wasn't like it was, you know, the woman disobeying. And, you know, I love how the whole fall of humanity is blamed on women. But, you know, it's like that, that it's... Yeah, you, you, how convenient is yeah, that? You, you see how that totally. works? But one, one <laughs> it thing... wasn't my fault. That, and it leads into the solution, I think, that I, I find really interesting is if you go back and you're looking at... The, the whole aftermath of that, and, you know, God goes looking for them in the garden, and then you get this whole blame game going on, that, right. like, God says to the woman, there will be, you know, basically war or enmity between you and the snake. Not, you know, you and your husband and the snake, just you and the snake. Right. And... Yeah. I, I, and I just in looking at human nature and, you know, like, especially when you get to the stereotypical stuff about, you know, oh, well, men are so just disconnected from their hearts and, 
you know, women are more emotional and this sort of thing. It's like, in a way, because I think possibly, and again, this is assuming that, you know, everything went down in Genesis, like, you know, it's written, but I don't know, it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense, though, the way this is playing out, is that if this whole feeling of lack of identity and, you know, just lack in general started in Adam... And Eve maybe wasn't there and totally conscious at the time, even though she was in Adam. Like, that if Eve wasn't quite as affected by this as Adam was, that there's this, there's been this resentment from the beginning. That, you know, and then, of course, she hands him the fruit, so he blames her, and, and it's just this immediate, you know, split between them. And, but I find it really interesting that... God basically says, okay, woman, the the war against all these lies and this deception and this spirit of accusation and all this, you're the one fighting that. And, you know, it's, you know, and obviously, you know, her offspring, which is Christ, but then leads to all of us, we're all going to fight this. But it just, I feel like, and talking about how, and just like Jory said in the in the interview too, that there are, you know, men and women together express God completely, and just you look at all the patriarchy in the church too, and the whole feminine aspect of God has been so repressed, and you know that's been kind of stolen from creation in a way, you know, just the more, you know, loving, nurturing compassionate, you know, elements that is very much God's heart. But I feel like um, just the way women naturally are in our own God-given energy, like not the whole, you know, you're woman, you're supposed to be a certain way, get in the kitchen sort of thing, but like that um, just the way women naturally express God's nature makes room for reconciliation. It makes room for communication and relationship and healing. And I, I think for, and I know women have really um, reacted strongly to all the patriarchy over the years. It's like, just as there's this ingrained patriarchal stuff with men, I think there's an ingrained distrust and all, almost like quiet hatred uh, of men among women. Like, and that's what's sort of ingrained mm. in us is just, you know, the other side of the coin, which I understand why it's there. Women yeah. have been treated terribly. But um, if, if we lay that down and stop, you know, pushing the angry, violent side and acting more like men, <laughs> then <laughs> it's like, I, I think if we, if we find our true, our true selves and live from who, you know, the parts of God that we express so well, I think women actually have a, you know, not that it's more our responsibility, men have a lot of work to do, but I think we have a tremendous opportunity as women to come in and help heal that and to be that redemptive justice, you know, just the, the, you know, you know, reconciliation, healing, not just this, you know, I know, Matthew, you've talked a lot about, you know, just the, the difference of, you know, uh, 
the different kinds of justice and all that. So it's, I think there's a lot of possibility. And I think women can really, you know, to, just to, to elevate our role in it, that we have a big and powerful part to play. So Yeah, yeah you yeah. absolutely do. And I do talk about justice a lot because we always presuppose, right? we don't always, we generally, more often than not, um, presuppose retributive justice. And that just, um, you know, piggybacking on Genesis, that's just not the answer because retributive justice ends up in a flood. Um, it's, it starts with uh, Abel's voice crying for vengeance and God's like, no, but it still happens. And then Lamech, what? He boasts about, you know, killing a kid who slaps him or scratches him 70 times sevenfold vengeance and it, and it ends in a flood. And, and going back to this, um, this notion of, of Genesis one and two and three, um, the, the, you mentioned whether this story actually went down this way. I don't think it matters because the truth of it is what we're talking about here. The truth of it is that hierarchy Mm -hmm. is the problem. And and that's the way uh, the second narrative in Genesis is, is, is written. It's, it's hierarchy. It's, it's, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're going to get the helper, but only after Adam names all the, um, you know, all the animals. And then it's like, they're not, there's no egalitarianism the way this is written. It's very patriarchal. Um, and so that, that is that problem. But the, the solution, you're right, is this redemptive um, justice, this reconciliatory justice that leads to pure egalitarianism. That doesn't mean women have certain roles and men have certain roles. There may be certain roles in our lives. I have certain roles that my wife doesn't have because that's what works in our relationship. But at the, but at the bottom line is we have an egalitarian uh, relationship to where the roles come about naturally and organically based on our strengths and weaknesses, not necessarily if if you're a man or a woman. Um, so that, that's just, that's just what I wanted to say. You know, it's, to me, it's not important how this historically went down because the truth of the matter is there. Uh, it doesn't right. need to be, Oh, were, were these the first actual yeah. two people? No, that doesn't, that doesn't matter the way I understand it because there's, there's much, 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 much more meat there than answering that question. And I think there's, there's ways to heal the church by understanding the appropriate way of reading the early books of the, um, you know, the early chapters of Genesis that once we get away from egalitarianism, we get into hierarchy and, and with hierarchy creates power structures and struggles and, and, and mimetic theory would have a lot to say on that and, and why we end up looking like each other when we fight these wars. Yeah. I mean, um, and just wondering if, if anyone has listened this far and isn't exactly sure what we mean when we're talking about patriarchy. It's really, like you said, Matt, it's just patriarchy is like male-dominated power structures where the men are the boss, they're, they make decisions, uh, they delegate authority, and typically women are uh, at the bottom or on the sides and um, are never really given, you know, they're always treated as less than. And, and you know what's funny is I a friend of mine sent me a book on patriarchy about maybe six or seven years ago. And I remember getting the book and, and looking at the cover and reading the back and it's all about patriarchy in the church. And, and, my, and honestly, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. My reaction, my first reaction to that book was, who's this for? Like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? This whole, I mean, honestly, I was sort of oblivious because our church, what didn't behave that way. 
you know, our house church, like women and little children and, you know, anybody, we don't care. Everyone is given an opportunity to share their experience of Christ with one another. And so this just wasn't an issue for me. And, and I guess I was kind of this blind spot, this oblivious for me, like, but the more I, then I actually read the book and, and read some of the uh, examples and things and stuff, even going back to early church history, it's very depressing how many of those early church fathers were really, um, you know, really down on women. And so, yeah, it's, it is something that is a problem in the church. It's, it is an ongoing problem. I guess the, I guess the question that we should, we should try to tackle here in the last two or three minutes, and then we can solve this problem and put it to bed is, um, what do we do? I mean, how do we respond? I mean, obviously there are patriarchal churches that you and I are not going to fix. We're not going to turn them into, you know, egalitarian churches or anything. So we're, we are, we're in a Christian faith here that does have very strong elements of patriarchy at different, different, uh, levels. How do we navigate that? How can we ourselves not play into that? Um, how can we make it so that, how can men, help women and how can we understand, you know, how, how to make it better? Like what, what do we do here? Yeah. It's a really good thought. That yeah. Was, that was for you, Amanda. That was for me. Okay. Um, wow. I, in a lot of ways, and of course it's not just the church. Of course. It's like culture as a whole has this patriarchal bent, right. you know, but it's like, you think about it. I mean, here we're like supposed to be the ones that are, you know, showing people what love is, and that's how they're supposed to know that, you know, <laughs> we belong to Christ. <laughs> but it's like, I, um, it's hard to say. I mean, other than I think, I think one of the biggest things that men can do just off the top of my head is to speak up. I mean, especially if, I mean, to one, set the example just for themselves, choose to live outside of that patriarchy, choose to be awake to it and, you know, and, and notice when, oh, hey, uh, I'm seeing something going on that doesn't seem quite right. Or, oh, I just did something that played into the old system or, you know, and j just be aware of it, yeah. but to call it out and like support each other, like call, you know, not go, go around accusing other men and, you know, have it be, you know, an angry thing, but, you know, to, to, to speak up and speak up on behalf of women and just start to, I mean, because if people aren't aware that this exists and it's a real problem, then they can't even begin to look at it. So just being very vocal about it, yeah. I think is a really good start and, and just speaking up and, you know, have our backs. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. 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 Amanda, um, um, yeah, I think I, I really appreciate what you've been sharing. It's been good. It's been really good to, uh, I just, I appreciate the, the courage you have in being, you know, like not coming at this from a, a reactionary standpoint, but actually seeing kind of the big picture, um, you know, like the whole picture. I think for me personally, one of the ways <clears throat> that I've tried to, I don't know that I've, I have felt I needed to correct a problem of patriarchy, although patriarchy is certainly a problem. Um, but I think it's a symptom of something deeper, but I, I feel like what I always come back to Jesus and his example of like, I feel like, um, the best way personally to address the problem of patriarchy or misogyny or those kinds of things, 
um, for me personally, hasn't meant to, to attack so much that mindset as to demonstrate um, the goal. Yeah. And I feel like the yeah. goal uh, at, at hand is, um, is like, if we're going to truly reflect the nature, the character nature of the divine God, then really we need male and female together, like together um, operating in flow together, because even, even each individual person, when we all have masculine and feminine energy within us, you know, so like polarity is, I think the way the universe operates. So within us, but also within uh, between the genders. And so like, I feel like um, it's so important. What you're saying is that the, to correct the abuse isn't to like push back in the sense of, cause I do see that happening a lot too. Like men become the enemy. Um, you know, the way that women tend to, um, you know, get their voice. Um, cause the temptation can be to, to take the same energy and uh, oppose men. And then we have these gender war, we have the, the, the ultimate gender war. So I think mm-hmm. that's obviously a problem. So for me personally, I feel like what I want to do, what my desire is, is to, um, is to just function in relationship. Cause I think the ultimate form of, um, of bringing the, uh, of bringing the genders together, cause that's the goal is to bring the genders together, not to have one above, or, you know what I mean? Like not to have men above women or women above men, um, and not to correct the abuse by using the same kind of energy or consciousness that created it in the first place, you know, um, and I, so I feel like the best form for me personally has been to um, allow myself to operate in relationship um, that it, with with uh, with with people who like like for example not just for men but like with women like to operate like if I treat a woman um, in a in a way if I if I restrict my my own way of relating to because somebody's a woman um, then I feel like. If I withhold my heart, if I withhold, you know, just my my friendship, those kinds of things, just because someone's a woman, that I feel like I'm perpetuating the problem. And what I see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus, in his own life, has these dynamic relationships um, that cross the gender divide, and um, and it wasn't, I don't think, to correct a problem as much as to express reality, which is God is male and female. So within that, I personally see that in his relationship with Mary Magdalene in a, in a very profound way, but to bring the genders together. So that's, um, and obviously that's what my book was about, Free to Love. It was about being free to love, uh, no matter, even in a way that even crosses that gender divide. Yeah. You know what, so. like, Jamal, I love what you said there. You reminded me of a, a quote by, uh, a recent quote that I heard by uh, a really probably a not as well-known female uh, theologian. She said, you know, we win by saving what we love, not killing what we hate. Who said I think it's actually from Star Wars. Oh, but, oh. <laughs> but that's true. Uh, but, but it's exactly what you said, right? I, the idea is uh, not, instead of fighting uh, patriarchy, let's just model the good thing uh, that we want to see in the world. You know, let's, let's just, uh, let's model what it looks like to be like Jesus and to, uh, like, you know what I love? One of my favorite things that I love is it, what Jesus does when, you know, the whole thing with Mary and Martha. So Martha's in the kitchen trying to get everything ready for the men, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like, she's in the room with the other male disciples, and literally sitting at the feet of Jesus is the posture of a disciple. Like, right. she is she is bold enough to take for herself this position, which was not allowed to a woman, to sit at the feet of a, of a, of a rabbi. And that's what Jesus means when he turns to Martha and he says, Mary has chosen something better. And it's such a strong, bold, powerful statement when he says, and what she has chosen, it will not be taken from her. 
oh my gosh, man, I get chills when I read that. It's like, yes. Uh, unfortunately, the, the church is trying to take that from her today. Yeah. But Jesus says yeah. it will not be taken from her. Exactly. Right. So, oh, I know. Yeah, Amanda, you and so I- so powerful. Um, yeah. You and I talked about this, I think. And, and for anyone who's uh, studied up on, on, on mimetic theory- it, for for me, it's it's all about it's all about two types of mimesis or imitating in two types of way. We can be non consciously imitating each other and fighting these wars, or we can be creatively uh, mimetic. We can have positive mimesis. We can cha- co- completely change the way we're, we. Yes, that that type of imitation is more conscious, right? When Jesus says, "Follow me," and then he he gives these spaces to women. He's a feminist. He's trying to bring an egalitarian kingdom of God to earth, he's, that's why we consciously and creatively imitate him. And, and, and we can break down these power structures in that way. But if we just go in this non-conscious negative mimesis, God, there's so much, there's so much mimesis and imitation in these gender wars. And I think you, you made the statement, um, when we were talking on the phone the other day, <laughs> how, how my medic we've been in this and how we've just been attacking each other with the same exact energy, yes. like Jamal just said. And um, Amanda, if you want to wrap us up with um, maybe expounding a little bit on our conversation and some of the things you said, I, I don't recall them. If, if you do, that'd be beautiful um, because what you were saying in that conversation was amazing with regards to this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I can remember most of it. But it, I mean, I just think think back to just as an example, like my time in college, I mean, I graduated in 2003. It's not like it was way back during the original feminist movement and all that. But, you know, you you go to an all women's college and there are pieces of that that are still left. And there, it, it seems to me that rather than women trying to simply, you know, level the playing field, and elevate their own position and to find an egalitarian way. We've just been trying to one up the guys and do it better than them or put them in their place and just, you know, and again, I understand the bitterness and the anger and I I get it, but basically we're just taking the same unhealthy, twisted masculine energy that, you know, isn't what it was intended to be. We're taking the same energy that, you know, is coming out of patriarchy and we're just employing it to try and fight our fight. And it's just adding fuel to the fire. And where's the balance? Where's the other, Hmm. you know, where's this whole other part of God? Like we're actually denying the, the world, our expression of God, the complete expression of God, because in trying to fight the patriarchy, we're being just as masculine as the guys in, in a lot of ways, like, you know, that it's the same toxic type of energy. So, I mean, that's why I say that I feel like women have such an opportunity and such a big role to play in, you know, that restorative justice and healing this and just expressing that whole other part of God's nature that's so needed, not just in the church, but just, you know, as a whole in creation. So it's, it, it, it really is about that, you know, just like you said, Jamal, I mean, us 
being together in this relationally together, not, you know, there, there's no reason for men and women to be split off into yeah. separate camps at all. You know, it, it's, it, it needs to be something yeah. that we're all supporting each other in. So, but yeah. And then, you know, to, in a way, and like Matthew, like you're talking about with the positive mimesis, I mean, if women were to take on that role and lead the way in that, then that gives men as well and other women the opportunity to have a positive, you know, something positive to imitate instead. So it's, you know, not like I'm saying it's all on women, but I think we have a big role to play and a really great opportunity to really cause a dramatic shift. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's hope. It's hopeful and exciting. Yeah, so, Amanda, yeah. I, I wish we had another hour to talk about this. It has been so amazing having you on the, the podcast uh, and you are spot on. I'm, I can't wait to go back and listen to this when we're done, just because uh, there was so much <laughs> profound stuff here. And I, I hope people uh, are blessed by it. And, and you know what? I seriously could talk another hour about it. I, I have so many questions and so many things, but unfortunately we're going to have to wrap oh, it up here sure. and uh, there's, get the music going. And No worries. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. So thanks Thank guys. You, Amanda. So, but, 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 you know, I am, I am getting kind of hungry. So like, which one of you is going to go make me a sandwich anyway? So <laughs> any, any volunteers? I mean, it's, it's lunchtime on the East coast. So <laughs> but, yeah, have a good day guys. <laughs> Peace and love. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Amanda. Bye-bye.